0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the LSE Focal Point podcast. I'm the host of this episode, Dean. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jonathan Kaye. Jonathan is a Partner, Managing Director, and the Head of Business Services at Muller's and Company. He started from a background in history and organic chemistry in his bachelor's at Tufts University before completing his JD degree at Duke. With over 20 years of experience in the financial services industry, his career journey spans investment banking and hedge fund research across firms such as J.P. Morgan, Jefferies, Sanjaya Asset Management, Twin Capital Management, and Citi, before joining Molles in 2013. His incredible career path has led him to develop a diverse range of specialities, including M&A, divestitures, control and non-control investments, covering the industrials and technology-enabled services industries. Now Johnson leads the business services franchise of MOLES, building onto the company's globally leading position in the industry with over a hundred consummated transactions across dozens of service verticals. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. So to start things off with, can you walk us through your role and responsibilities as well as the business services franchise at Monaz?
1: Absolutely. So I lead our business services franchise, which means I'm responsible for maintaining relationships with company CEOs and in large measure, the private equity firms who invest in them and a broader network of strategic companies and investors around the world who invest in in services and ultimately to get us hired in an advisory capacity around transactions of all kinds, principally mergers and acquisitions. That's sort of on the origination and relationship side and on the execution side, once we have those projects, it means leading overseeing a a dedicated team of, of professionals and seeing those transactions through, representing our clients. I also sit on the firm's management committee and do a fair amount of mentorship as well. Our services franchise is very broad. Our our world begins when companies stop making things. So I don't represent manufacturing companies, but we represent a, a number of business to business services that could look that could be that could vary across the the econo- economic landscape so that could be facilities management companies cleaning companies environmental service businesses on the tech enabled side it could mean digitally enhanced information outsourced marketing companies consulting businesses of all kind human capital management and staffing businesses so it's a very broad category which is why we're very nimble and why it's it's so interesting for us
0: Makes sense. And let's dive into your interesting career journey. With a non-finance academic background, what led you to the financial services industry and especially investment banking?
1: So I started after graduate school at a a law firm that was geared towards mergers and acquisitions. So I was in and around transactions from the beginning. And there are a lot of bankers who have law backgrounds, many at our firm and many really at every firm. And at the time, there were so many bankers leaving the industry to go to technology companies this was before the dot com bubble burst that a lot of the banks were starving for people and so they hired some graduated lawyers who were focusing on M&A to sort of join the banking business and at the time i i thought that what bankers did was much more interesting much more interesting on the origination side and i was Never really in love with practicing law. So I didn't I didn't last long at the law firm and, and wanted to get out. And I joined what's now JP Morgan before the dot com crashed and was a part of the merger with Chase as well.
0: Thank you for sharing that perspective. And you spent four years in investment banking at JP Morgan, then Jefferies. What was your main takeaway from this four year period?
1: They were difficult years. I, I learned a lot. I learned I was as not as special as my mother told me I was. I learned that Wall Street could be a merciless place and the, and the rewards. And I don't mean compensation. I really mean opportunities, mentorship, attention, the opportunity to work on the best situations, those things followed those who did good work and did good work consistently. And so not having the financial background as a lot of the people who had either prepared for this in their undergraduate years, it was rough for me to sort of learn those hard skills you know, in real time. And I also learned some of the basic concepts that probably seem obvious, but when you're in your 20s, you kind of have to learn them all from scratch. And those are things like doing what you say you're going to do, being consistent, carefully managing your reputation, carefully managing difficult people staying away from toxic people this was also a time in finance where there were just there were just less rules and and people were kind of rougher than i think the environment is today so they were, they were tough years. And I, I learned a lot and I think at the larger organizations, they were also navigating the dot com bubble bursting. They were, they were dealing with the emergence of independent firms. We'll talk about that in a while. And there was just a lot of movement in, in the organization. So I learned a lot about just the long haul and the fact that I think of career in finances is, is as much of a marathon as anything. And I was, you know, well-trained during, during those years from different vantage points
0: thank you for sharing that journey and you have been with molas for 9 years now at first what attracted you to the firm to join and what do you enjoy about working at molas and your role now
1: so I had, I had just finished several years at at, at city and i was a new relatively new managing director at city which is when i i met um, ken Mullis, who was obviously the founder and the ceo of of, of & company and you know as a newly minted director managing director at city. it's obviously a global bank, a massive organization. But once I achieved that title that I've been working towards for many years, I was just increasingly aware of all the blockades around me in terms of bureaucracy, layers of people, a degree of just politics, and just not really mattering to the organization. And that's not a knock at all on city or big firms. It's just practically hard to make a difference at those organizations because they're so they're so vast. And and I didn't really love the the politics or all of the people who filled every possible position. So what attracted me to MOLIS was very much that it had only been around five or six years and had lots of white space, lots of room to grow. And I realized even though it was certainly less known, clearly in the city, but but less known than it is now at the time, I felt this would be an opportunity to bet on myself. and and do something different where my, I could really succeed if I did a good job. And if I did something different and there would be less kind of in my way. So it turned out to have been all that. And so I very much have enjoyed and continue to enjoy my time at MOLUS. My role has completely changed from someone who was really brought on to support the merger's effort to creating a franchise, as I mentioned, which I started in 2015, which has become a pretty significant business. And so that's. That's been great for me, and the firm really is an entrepreneurial one, which is really what I enjoy most about working at MOLIS and the level of professionalism that the partners and all of the, the team across across the board brings to, to our situations. It's It's been a really remarkable success story because we have not been around very long at all, and I think we were formed in 2007, and we're competing with other independent firms who have been around in some cases for over 200 years, and we are uh, larger than several of them by now. So it's been a f- remarkable growth story for the firm and all the people who work there.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And now shifting the focus to investment banking industry and molas As you said, molas was founded in 2007 and now is one of reputed as one of the top elite boutiques in the industry. And for companies of this caliber, Ken Mollis is one of the only founders who is still involved in the everyday business. What do you think are the factors that differentiated Mollis from his peers and accomplished such growth?
1: Well, Ken's a remarkable man, and and you know while we do compete with bulge bracket banks and independent banks, and the competition it is vicious. We are different as an organization in a few ways. Importantly, I would say Ken created just enough infrastructure to ensure we're on the rails and we're functioning properly as a firm, but we are still an entrepreneurial sort of place. And consequently, we attract certain a certain type of banker who are really hustlers and motivated to win, and we create businesses on this platform. That's unusual. I mentioned that I was hired by MOLUS to do something altogether different from, from what I'm doing now which is building out our business services platform, which we did here from scratch on this platform. We have had bankers create businesses here that cover categories like online gaming, the clubbing industry. We even have a cannabis franchise that was started on this platform. And these have all become real businesses contributing meaningful revenues to the firm. So we're constantly looking for ways to grow and give opportunities to our managing directors a surprising percentage of whom, by the way, we've promoted internally versus some of our competitors whose partner ranks are almost entirely comprised of lateral hires. So that's a dynamic that's not as conducive to motivating juniors to grow. So that's the type of banker we tend to attract. And it's it's bankers like that who are finding ways to create value by adding franchises, new ways to, to uh, develop businesses within within the larger umbrella organization. And I think that's a critical part of, of, of how we've grown as quickly as we have.
0: And just diving deeper a bit into the part where you said about building the business services platform, what was the motivation and incentive about building this platform? What was the journey like behind the scenes? And how was this business opportunity identified in the first place?
1: That's a great question. I think I think that, first of all, it's... It, business services represents a very large percentage of capital that's deployed from the private equity world. And that's because business services by nature of the fact that they're not manufacturers, et cetera, tend to be more asset light and therefore can support leverage and cash flows. And because this was a, a relatively dark area for the firm, I just saw it as a huge economic opportunity for MOLIS and, and for myself, And at the time the private equity industry continued to be booming in terms of the percentage of companies that they own the volume of deals the proliferation of funds the proliferation of assets under management all coupled with you know until recently an extremely robust financing market so this just facilitated a lot of a lot of opportunity and the firm was very supportive of me spending my time there and with a a few early successes that opportunity accelerated and we've invested in people to, to join the team who are dedicated to services. And we now have a, a, a marquee group and, and have a very good market share um, in, our, in our world. So it's been, it's been a, a very successful move for the organization and for me and for the, all the bankers we partner with, and, and most importantly, our clients. And we really focus on clients and delivering them a tremendous amount of service, attention, idea generation, and And we try to be you know the best possible source of sort of thoughtful judgment and opportunities as we can. and that that's that's been an important part of how we've
0: differentiated ourselves. Thank you for sharing that. And moving on to a more recent event. on March tenth, Silicon Valley Bank became the second largest bank failure in u s. history after booking a one point eight billion dollars loss on its portfolio, resulting in a bank run style deposit withdrawal from the VC community this incident has led to a ripple effect on most financial institutions. Two days later, we have seen the third largest bank failure from Signature Bank. What is your perspective on the duration and range of this contagion?
1: You know, an interesting observation on that was just how quickly the capital left that organization, like within 24 hours. And partly that is derivative of the digitization of, of funds flow. I mean, you can with a couple of clicks, move capital that would have required more time and bureaucracy and administration previously. So the the speed with which funds kind of flew out of that organization was just, that in itself was remarkably different than anything I think we have seen before. With respect to the effects of the event, I think the situation is too fluid for me to have too much of an opinion that's worth much. I would say we think that the stabilization, well, let me put it this way. I think we're waiting to see what the what the ripple effects could be. I mean, it, it, as recently as this morning, there was a major investment in Credit Suisse that people didn't know if that was going to happen the night before. So it's it's moving quickly. None of this is having a very positive effect on the financing challenges that the industry was already having. and debt which is a, a you know a lubricant to transactions broadly speaking has gone from being readily available and relatively cheap at least by you know by recent standards to being much less available certain categories of the financing market are effectively closed and the and the finance that is available is more expensive all derivative of continued issues in federal funds and yield so you know equities become more expensive Debts become more expensive if you're if you're a borrower, and the transaction business, which is what we are in broadly speaking, is is being very very cautious. Which is why you're seeing transaction volumes generally decline in some cases, pretty significantly since the peaks of 2021.
0: Well said. And with the downturn in transaction activities we saw in 2022, what is your perspective on the industry's outlook in 2023? What key sectors, events, or statistics should we be looking for?
1: So volumes in 2023 continue to be down relative to the heights of 2021. That is clear. And that is generally true across pretty much all industries. As I said, the impact of more expensive equity, more expensive debt, none of that has a a very helpful effect on transaction levels. There's also as a conservative as a matter, general caution around that we're heading into a recession. Clearly a land war in Europe doesn't help. And there's just a, a degree of caution that has um, kind of crept into the dialogue of capital deployment, company boardrooms, sort of et cetera. So what are we looking for to, to, to bring things into a healthier position? We're, we're looking for stabilization from the Fed. We're looking for inflation which has been driving the Fed's movements to show continued signs of uh, of improvement. So that needs to get handled. We'd love to see some greater sort of political stabilization and just a a, a less tone of acrimony in the US. I think people are looking, you know, that people nervous as well. And so we're looking for all those things. I think some type of peace in Ukraine would also be extremely helpful. And that, of course, has been tied to concerns about energy instability and energy security. So there's been a lot of headwinds. Oh, plus a global pandemic. So there was that too. So there's been a lot of headwinds over the past couple of years that the financial industry continues to navigate and I think will continue to navigate. I think from just a a technical point of view, I think a stabilization from the Fed and. And the market's view that 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 the cost of debt is gonna actually stabilize or come down, that the Fed will stop hiking rates, those kinds of things I think will be important. And on the other side of that, a recovery in financing availability that will all have a helpful impact on transaction
0: volumes. Makes sense. And finally, shifting the focus to our listeners, reflecting upon your 23 year old experience in your career journey. What advice would you give to that? What advice would you like to share with students that are entering the industry?
1: So here's what I'd say. I would say there's a, a few important truths to recognize about this industry, broadly speaking, but one of them is that it is constantly changing and evolving with forces that are always unpredictable. So, m- most of our landscape today, and it, whether it's assets under management or fintech changes or any of the critical trends that we now take for granted, many of those would just have been unrecognizable a decade ago. So, I think you have to accept as a starting point, you're not going into dentistry. And there's a lot of your life and your future that you're going to be dealing with forces and waves of change that you cannot predict. and more importantly, that are fundamentally beyond your control. And that can be frightening, but it also can be interesting and exhilarating and empowering if you're a shrewd observer of that. So ultimately, what I think you want is professionally the freedom to work in roles or situations that interest you and where you can flourish, but accept that you won't have that freedom until you achieve one precious thing, and that is judgment. So any job that you want to have eventually in finance, whether it's advising companies or managing money or deploying capital or leading a company operationally, you're gonna have that position because of judgment. And so what I would share with students is that you really have a golden opportunity starting your career and generally in your 20s and 30s to secure that judgment with experience in an accelerated way. And I think these entry positions in finance and in investment banks really do accelerate your judgment in a way that's remarkable. And so experience and knowledge, it's kind of like interest. It has a compounding effect over time. So I would encourage you to really invest in your experience. And that means not just hard work, but focus on putting yourself in firms, in positions, and with people who can give you the most packed volume of experience that you possibly can and pay attention and focus on the people you admire because they're likely succeeding for a reason. So yes, you you should learn the hard skills as fast as you can, but in the end, in the end it's really the skills of grit and resilience, learning how to listen, understanding what is motivating other people and and empathy, those are the indispensable skills that separate you from a calculator. So I would invest in those too. And and I wish everyone luck, and it's been a privilege to speak to you today. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you so much for those advice and your time here today to share your amazing insights with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode. Stay tuned for more future content.